It's time to turn off the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode I delve from the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. If you made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you take M. Night Shyamalan, 23 different personalities, and a minor but very good twist at the end of the movie? Why, you get split. Why, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. And yes, I know, this ends our little kind of not-so-much-terror, but talking about two movies I've wanted to talk about for quite some time, especially this one. I really wanted to do it when I first saw it, and this was really before I was kind of doing the little car review things, too, uh, that, you know, are up on the YouTube channel if you want to go and watch them. Plug, 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 plug. But <laughs> it's just something else, like... I really, really wanted to talk about this movie, but but also at that time when this film came out, I was still trying to really focus on just, like, horror films, and also bad horror films. And now, I understand maybe not everything is where the podcast originally started with, but there are just sometimes I want to talk about films in general, um, and that kind of, this one skirts that line of horror, I would definitely call it, like, tension-building and again, you know, we're kind of in the M. Nightland of, hey, this is when he's good. And even looking at like some things I was reminded of, uh, it was about this time, you know, uh, a couple of years ago when this came out that all of a sudden I had all these things like, oh my God, he's back. Oh, what the hell? Like, I can't believe that this was so good. It's absolutely nuts and absolutely crazy. And I'm just going to say it right off the bat that I really do enjoy this movie. Um, and so this is really, anything that's here, uh, it's just a deeper dive for me because I really didn't get a chance to do it when it first came out. I don't know how you feel about this film, and I don't know if you guys have had the chance to see Glass yet. So as of this recording of this episode, when possibly when you listen to it, um, depending on when you listen to it, I should say, I have not seen Glass yet, so I won't be making any type of comparisons. I won't look at little things that may have connected the movies together, so there's nothing going to be like that. But after this has been released, uh, the boys and I, and that would be the Angry Dad podcast, Ben and Patrick from Paranormal Pativity, the three of us are going to go see Split. So there will be a video recording that will come out that will be on the YouTube channel. And you can watch it there, uh, as well as I'm going to release it as bonus audio. Uh, so I'll just take the audio from, if you don't want to go to the video and you just kind of want to hear our reactions and just in general of what's going on. And because 
it's coming out uh, at least two weeks after the movie's been out. Uh, I'm going to say it's going to be spoiler-filled, so we're going to talk about everything, including the ending. I want to get that out of the board right now. So if you're expecting there to be some type of comparison to Split uh, and Glass, I have not seen Glass yet, and I know. <laughs> um, this was by choice, and this was because I wanted to make sure that I did it with all three of us, and Pat decided that he wanted to go to Hawaii on vacation, so... Blame him. No, don't no, no blaming him. Uh, just, you know, enjoy the fact that you'll get a spoiler-filled review rather than, oh, I don't know if I really should talk about this. I don't know what I should do. And a lot of you have been hitting me up about this movie. So I really want to be like, I want to get into it and I really want to talk about it. And we'll talk about it on a special bonus episode. Or you can watch the three of us on a video talk about it at the same time. So... But I'm going to give it probably about a week after this has been released because I don't want to release it the very next day and be like, here it is. And you haven't had a chance to listen to this one yet. So um, so let's also say with this episode, and I haven't done this in a while, it's not as it's mediocre in terms of the clips, not mediocre. <laughs> I don't know what the word is I want to use, but middle ground in terms of the amount of clips like average. Let's just say average. A lot of that just to say this has an average amount of clips. Um, and the thing is, is that this has very long clips in it. Um, so some of these do reach about three minutes because it's hard for me to break down the whole clip and find the right spot. Oh, where can I end this? Where can I? No, unlike Unbreakable, where I could go in there and take a four minute clip and bring it down to a minute and 30 seconds because there's so much dead air, like, his writing has gotten a lot better to where it's sometimes it's a little bit too much. And so there it's really hard to be like, Oh man, I really can't cut this out because it's interesting at the same time. It, it, there's a bunch of stuff that I want to talk about. So if there is something that I miss while I'm doing this and it's because the clips are so long and maybe I have to go back and forth, or maybe I'll talk about stuff that before in a way and then bring in the clip just know there are a couple that are in here that have a really long runtime uh, for this podcast. Uh, and I haven't, I've been trying to keep most of my clips under two, maybe a minute and a half, but you know, I just had to for this one because there's like, there's one of my favorite scenes in this movie, uh, and it just goes on. It's towards the end of the film, and it's just, goddamn James McAvoy, uh, why aren't you the biggest fucking superstar in the world? Because this film, like, literally uh, made me love you so goddamn much. And and I thought I liked you with the X-Men movies. Like, him playing, uh, you know, I was about to say, him playing Patrick Stewart. Uh, <laughs> God, how fucking stupid would that be? How stupid am I? Uh, but no, him playing Professor X uh, is great. I love it. I love him in that role. But honestly, seeing him from, like, Wanted... To now, he is so much of a different actor. It is just insane. And I don't know why he did not get recognized for this movie. I am going to be fanboying over this guy the entire fucking time we're going to be talking about this. And I really hope that he's carried that over to glass. Now, if it doesn't, and it turns out that that part is absolutely horrible, I will let you know if I'm still a fanboy. Uh, well, we go over that one. But in this one... It really was, and even with my wife, uh, I know I talk about her a lot when we talk about these things, but every now and then she does sit through, and she sat through Split with me, um, and 
her first reaction was, see, she came in in the middle of it. And, which was very difficult for me because I'd explained the entire movie to her up that point. And then when I was like, oh yeah, he's Patricia now, or he's Dennis now, she's like, yeah, I get it. Like, he so changes his mannerisms and his voice and everything. He's like, I don't, she's like, I don't need you to tell me when he changes. Like, I know it. It's just there. Like, it, he's, she's like, even only watching for like 15 minutes, she, he's so good. Oh my God. And she got glued into it. And maybe she'll go back and she'll watch the first half of it. But it's still, you know, you're going to be, you know, it's not going to be a twist at the end of this podcast, (laughs) the review that I'm going to give, because I do like this movie so much. So those things out of the way. Uh, Again, this is kind of the, (laughs) I don't want to call it the Shyamalan's, uh, or the resurgence um, of M. Night Shyamalan, but we'll see if... It continues, but this really brought him back. The visit kind of brought him back, but nobody knew he did the visit. And for me, I really didn't know that he did that or split. Like, I remember seeing the visit and being like, eh, I'm not really interested in seeing it. I ended up seeing it later, actually after split, because of split. Um, and I think it that's a pretty good movie. It's got some really messed up parts in it. Um, and <laughs> God, just thinking about a couple of those right now is really making my mind go, but it's still, you know, it has its flaws, but it's an entertaining movie. Some people will say no, but I really think that it is. And this one, um, this was what Paranormal Pat, like, we saw the trailer for this, and we were like, it's like, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And then he just like, hey, do you want to go? Him and his wife, who happens to be my cousin, uh, they're like, let's go. My wife wasn't feeling very well. She's like, get out of the house because I'm sick, and you need to get out and just go, go with him and watch the movie. So I said, okay. Uh, and I didn't know what to expect. I, I really didn't. And then I remember sitting next to these two people that I want to fucking, like, punch because they were talking and it was constantly, oh, what's going on over here? What's going on over there? But all in all, it didn't really phase the enjoyment of the film. It really made it like, I when I saw his name pop up, I'm like, holy shit, oh no, I'm in an M. Night movie. Oh my fucking God, what am I going to do? What am I, like, I just paid for this movie. Oh, please, please, let's see what it's like. And then just being fucking amazed. If it weren't for James McAvoy, I honestly don't know if this movie would have been as good as it was, to be honest with you. I think that his character is so well done and so entertaining that it's like, if he's not in it, I I just don't know if I like it. Like, I think I'd still like some of the ideas. And going through it and really trying to do the notes and all the other stuff with it, I think that I get a lot more out of it, but just upon like just watching it, I don't know honestly. So, um, I but luckily he is in it. Luckily he does do a great job, and I like it as much as I do. So hey, we're gonna be in for a fun ride while we go through the film together. So let's go ahead and start split. So the movie begins looking at Casey, and Casey is, looks like she's really withdrawn at the table. In fact, she looks like she's relatively bored. While everybody around them is celebrating Claire's birthday. Claire is one of the girls in one of her classes that invited her just on, you know, the principle that she should invite everybody and not leave one person necessarily left out. I do like the opening shot of the film, the way that it works, because you look upon her, everybody's kind of fuzzed out in the background, and she's really the one that's focused on and you, I mean, part of it, when I look at her, I'm like, man, she's really fucking bored. 
and why is she there? Like, she doesn't really want to be there. She looks really withdrawn, and you get that sense of feeling just by the way the shot is set up. I mean, it's the very opening shot of the film, and you're kind of left to wonder right away, why are we being shown this? And then it flips over to where Claire and her friend Marcia, uh, which I believe is her name, um, again, <laughs> her... She's one of those characters where I could really take it or leave it. I don't necessarily remember her name, but that's what they put down. So I'm going by that. And if I'm mispronouncing it, fuck her. She's a deficient character. So anyway, uh, it looks like Casey is trying to get a ride from somebody to go home. And here we see that Claire and her father are talking about whether or not they should actually take her home. Claire kind of doesn't, but the father really wants to be like the good guy and make sure that she gets home okay. That's what happens when you do a mercy invite. I believe you wanted to invite everyone. Dad, I can't invite everyone in my art class except for one person without social networking evidence inflicting more pain on that person than was intended, and I'm not a monster. I'm proud of you, <laughs> I think. She gets detention a lot, and she yells at teachers sometimes. And there was that rumor that went around that she just kept running away from home. Uh, maybe she can Uber. I seriously believe that we can go home oh, now. Did I mistakenly convey this was a democracy? We are not going until she gets picked up. Uh, the car broke down. I'm just going to take the bus. You're not taking a bus. I'll drive you home. Claire has almost saved her half of the money she needs for a car. Isn't that right? I mean, this will be one of the few times left I can drive you guys around. You won't be able to hear my dad tell jokes that only he thinks are funny for an entire car ride unless you come. You don't really want to miss that. So, not really wanting to miss the wonderful world of dad jokes. Which, honestly, my dad jokes are wasted on a lot of things because I don't have any fucking kids. But you guys get to enjoy them every now and then. I hope you do. I love them. Anyway, so, uh, you know, he goes out to the car with the kids, and then he tells them, you know, go ahead, I'm going to put the stuff away from the trunk. And then all of a sudden, somebody approaches the car. That person happens to be Kevin, who we're going to refer to as Dennis for the most part, because that seems to be the personality they take. See, we'll get to learn a lot more about this character coming up, and of course, it's the main person in the film. So, Dennis, he goes into the car, and he doesn't really, like, notice... The, well, Casey sitting in the front seat, she just kind of stares and he does a really good job with the sound in this movie because at this point everything kind of becomes like, you know, quieted. You can only kind of hear the girls in the back. She's really focused upon him. And while Casey's really focused upon him, he just kind of goes through the whole motions of everything's doing. He's making sure that he's cleaning down everything. He's wiping his hands. He puts on a mask. And then when Claire leans over and is like, excuse me, I think you're in the wrong car. But she doesn't really notice the mask that he's wearing either. And he leans over and he knocks them both out with a spray. Casey starts to panic really, really bad. But you can't really tell that she's like panicking completely. It's like the look upon her face. But she's slowly moving everything. Like she knows she's been in this situation before or at least knows what to do. And she goes over to the door and she slowly starts to open it. And there is a lot of tension in the scene because Dennis doesn't really notice anything that's going on. He only notices the two in the back seat. So when she finally does open the door and it starts making the open door car noise sound, then he looks over like, oh, fuck, there's one more that I've got to do. 
puts on the mask, sprays her in the face, and then we cut over to the first scene of a flashback where she's with her father and her uncle. I hear the tiniest little splash. And here it comes, a freak of nature like this. So, he comes across the stream and he's so tall that the water doesn't even get to his belly. Then he stops. And my heart's coming out of my chest. You got bug fever. Uncle John's got bug fever. That's not true, Casey. Your daddy's a liar. How big was the wreck? It was huge. Where are you supposed to look when you shoot, Casey? At the body. Then why was he looking at the wreck? Because he had book fever. <laughs> She'll say anything you say. You gonna do that when you get your mentored hunting license in three years? No, sir. Make sure you put your gloves on after you finish. Your feet and your hands get cold first out there. So, this is kind of the weird... Like, when you first watch this film, you know, you get a little bit of background of what Casey is like. You listen to Claire earlier, she's like, she acts out a lot, and she, you know, is always getting in detention and yelling at teachers. You know, there's something about her that doesn't seem right. Like, she's repressing something as well, and she's trying to get away for it, and doesn't really want to go back. And these are kind of the window into that. I don't really want to give anything away from everything, but there is a def- definitely like a correlation between the stories that her dad tells her about the animals, the deer that they hunt, and then the situation that she's in. Like, she's the buck, and the beast is the lion, or the one that it's being hunted, or she's the hunter, and he's the hunted. It's kind of weird. At this moment in the film, you kind of don't know which way you want to go with it, but I remember sitting there, and I was like, huh, there's got to be something that's going on between them, and there's got to be something with either the father or something else. Like, maybe, maybe I'm not. Maybe it's just more or less like, She's got hunting techniques, you know. She's this badass girl that's all of a sudden going to come out and, like, rescue them all or some shit like that. But it's really a different type of situation. So, they all wake up. They're in another room. And the other weird thing that happens here is Casey is on her own bed while the two girls, Marcia and Claire, they're on the other bed. And there's only two beds in the room. So, she already is being separated not only by the people that... Uh, you know, she's hanging out with and that's her. like, they're the ones cowering together and saying, you know, in this case, like, they're looking out for each other and not necessarily her. But at the same time, Dennis, he is also like, I don't know if he's segregating or the fact that she's the one that woke up last because she was also knocked out last. It's weird. And especially the way the shots are framed, because when you look at the room, you know, when you just look at the two of them, it looks like they are just on separate beds, especially when you get it from like Claire's perspective or you're getting it from, uh, you know, over there with Casey's perspective. But when you have the straight shot on the room, when you have the two beds on the left and the right, they're sitting on the t- two to one and one to the other. The way the room is even color and lit up, it looks like it's actually two separate cells and these two girls are on their own and she is on their own. So it's, really well done and it's really well set up by you know Shyamalan here and I have to give him props because it's still amazing to fucking look at so from here Dennis comes in the room and he picks Mary uh Marcia 
Maricia Maricella, whatever the fuck her name is. Uh, and it's funny because she's got like a kind of a Latin first name and she looks like she's Blasian, right? Black and Asian, uh, and not even freaking Mexican at all. So, or any type of Latino or some sort of Puerto Rican guy. Uh, she just looks like, uh, doesn't fit the name. So I always want to think of something else. But Marcia gets picked by Dennis to go into the other room and she's basically screaming and Casey goes up to her and says, you know, don't be, it's not like, don't be afraid. It's like, don't be a victim. Pee on yourself. Uh, and she's like, what? You know, looks at her like basically saying, look, this is going to be your action because he's not going to, or don't let, I think it's don't, I didn't take the damn thing down, which sucks because it's only for like a second. Um, but it's basically saying to him, like, don't let him have power over you. There you go. It's like that. And so pee on yourself. So she does. And he throws her back in, in disgust back in the room. Claire sees that she has done so to herself. And she starts thinking about how she could get everybody out of there because she's trained in Kung Fu, like Keanu Reeves in the matrix. It doesn't matter if you open that door, Claire, there's a second locked door. He's going to come in here again, any second. And we're not letting him take one of us out again. We just cried and screamed, and we didn't hurt him because we were afraid to get him upset. God, that's victim shit. Jesus. We should fight him. We should drop a crazy-ass bomb on him. I saw him carry one of you and lay you on the bed like you weighed nothing. One punch from him would knock one of us out. I took, I took six months of Kenpo Karate class, and you distract the assailant with pain. Everything is so easy for you guys. You do one thing and can predict the next thing. It's not the way it's going to be in this situation. We're not getting out of here. You're saying that you're not going to fight with everything in you? You know the only chance, the only chance we have is if all three of us go crazy on this guy. We have to hurry. We need you, Casey. Claire's smart. Let's listen to her. I'll do it if you're going to do it, too. We can win. He'll hurt us. Now, shut up. Both of you. You're going to pick your miserable self up and help us get out of here. Blow me. And your six months of karate at the King of Prussia Mall can blow me too. No, 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 you can't, you can't do this today. You can't do this right now. Why do you do this? Why do you act like this? Why do you act like you're not one of us? Because she's not one of you, you stupid piece of shit. Like, <laughs> I love the line that she says, fuck you and your six months of Kenpo or whatever it is. Like, yeah, okay, we can totally overpower him. I took like six months of Kenpo over here and... I know everything there is. You don't know shit about shit and pull up your fucking pants. Like, come on. Is that really going to save you? And already you didn't listen to fucking Marcia over here where she's like, there's another door. So you're expecting him, one, to have the keys on him to get out of that room. Two, to be able to get there and overpower the guy and hope that you have enough. But he carried her out of there like it was fucking nothing, just like Casey was saying. Casey definitely is the smarter out of all of the three. Because she's casing the situation. 
<laughs> Get it? Anyway, there's that dad humor. But no, honestly, she is. She, she, no pun intended here. She is casing everything that's going around. She's looking at everything. She's trying to understand what exactly is going on, where they are. But Claire here, she just wants to use brute force. And that's just acting like the dumb boy bucks that her dad fucking taught her about. See, from here, as she's trying to assess the situation, she goes back to the hunting training that she got from her dad. When you're aiming, Casey, always keep both eyes open. Cover your target with the barrel, then move with it to get its pace. I'm warning you, it's going to be frustrating the first times. You're going to shoot under it or behind it. You'll learn to stay with it. Females are smarter than the males, but you know that. It's like humans. <laughs> Females use their nose to stay alive. They make sure they have cover. They always remember they're trying to stay alive. Bucks go off by themselves. Bucks get dumb during mating season. Boys make too much noise. <laughs> yes, they do. I'm better than that boy, right? Yes, you are. So, see, she's already, like, thinking in the back of her head. Now, this isn't a memory of hers that she's thinking of at that specific moment, right? She's really just trying to get a handle on the whole situation. Because even after that finishes, she's just like, look, I'll let you know when I know something. Meaning that she's trying to figure out what is with him that she can actually use against him. In the flashback, it's more just for building up her character, right? So that we know exactly what she's gone through. And we're going to learn that eventually. Uh, and even here, it's like she's taking the lessons that she's learned. She's going through the whole, like, process. And her dad, and I like the shots where it's like where he's explaining everything. And he actually explains that, you know, this is how you follow the gun when you getting ready to shoot because you'd want to make sure that you don't have your eyes just like talking with the unk earlier with buck fever you don't want to have your eyes on the horns you have to have your eyes on the body so that way you trace the body when you go and so the camera actually is like it's teaching you how you should be hunting in this situation so maybe not everybody likes that but i don't know i seem to really appreciate the way that it was being done and with everything with her you know it's like she's enjoying the time with her father but at the same time, like, he's really being serious about the whole situation. Yes, the boys are dumb. He's like, even in real life, because it's, you know, well, I don't know if it's necessarily true for always dumb. But when it comes to mating, yeah, I guess we can be pretty fucking stupid in some cases. Yeah, sure, I'll buy you that car and I'll pay off your rent just so I can get some. What am I going to get out of it? Oh, just that? Okay, I'll do it anyway. What the fuck? Uh, but <laughs> anyway, so... They come back, and then, you know, she tries to reassure him that everything is going to be okay, and she just needs to know more about the situation. From here, we jump over and we meet Dr. Franklin for the very first time. And Dr. Franklin, she specializes in people that have multiple personalities. And she truly believes that it's not a just a mood disorder, but that there's actually something behind it. And to understand that, you have to understand that she under she believes that everybody has... And I know I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but it helps, I think, with these scenes. But everybody has, like, if you have multiple personalities, it's like sitting around a chair, right? And in the center, there's one master chair. And it's like playing multiple chairs, and you basically sit and wait your turn. And in some cases, maybe one person controls 
the whole system, who gets to have the time and whatever it is at those specific moments, but that somebody can also, you know, believe so much through that person that the body chemistry actually changes. So, for example, you know, if somebody has diabetes, then maybe that per- characteristic while they're that person has to actually take insulin shots. But then when they change over to somebody else, they don't have to do it anymore. So it's kind of an interesting situation. And watching this scene, knowing if you've never seen Split before, um, I should have said this at the top, you need to watch this movie and then come back. But if you're just trying to see or get a refresher or whatever, it's really interesting. Just like with The Sixth Sense and even Unbreakable to some extent, you get clues along the way that you never noticed when you were first watching the movie. And in some cases, maybe you did see some things, you're just like, huh, this is weird. And this is one of those situations, because this is the first time that we see Barry uh, interact with uh, Karen here. And Barry is one of the other personalities with inside, you know, the mind of Kevin. And so, again, I'm going to be referring to these characters as their character name. I'm never going to call him just Kevin. It's just who he is at that point. Uh, so, Barry, there was an email that was sent to the doctor, and it's, it's urgent, I need to see you, and she decides to see him. And this is the very first appointment that they have after receiving that email. No, 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 that one. That one, before the pink frock coat with the thorns, that's supposed to be like a, like a tailored jacket, but I'm going to hand print it with newspaper headlines. <laughs> well, I'm a simple blouse and skirt person, but these... These are very artistic, Barry. Just the kind of thing Hampton's ladies would spend $15,000 on to wear once at a charity ball. Shut up. <laughs> You know, I, I can't stay too long. This is, this is just a just a visit. Well, tell me what's going on. What? You mean the email? Nah, just the usual things. Just feelings of being overwhelmed. Well, the terseness of your email made it sound specific and time-related. Are are you looking for something? No. No, I'm just just admiring. I'm better now. Does work? It's great. When I last spoke to them, they believed you were a model employee. They found you meticulous and conscientious. You know this, right? I do. Well, you've managed there for ten years. You're functioning very well, Barry. And it's a rare and wonderful place for you to work. Yes, it is. You know, of all my other clients with your disorder, you've been the most consistent at your job. Did something happen, Barry? How old are you? The internet is inconsistent on this point. Why is that on your mind? Who's going to look after us when you retire or pass on? You know, we're going to have to take care of ourselves, and nobody even believes that we exist. If ever something were to happen to me, I'd made arrangements with a colleague from Baltimore to take over. Hmm. Hey, you, uh, you live alone? You know this. I'm sorry, I just meant how long? <laughs> Always. I must be so lonely. Uh, you know what? I'm, <laughs> I'm doing much better. I, I shouldn't have emailed you. I'm, I'm just, look at me. I'm too impulsive. By the way, is anybody listening? Does anybody care about us? Yes. The University of Paris has asked me to do a lecture, in fact. I'm going to be doing it via Skype from right here. People are believing more. 
Let's meet at our usual time next week. I would rather you didn't leave, Barry. Did something happen? Don't worry. This was just a visit. I'm doing much better. I actually Don't you like your sketches, Barry. You're usually very protective of them. Yeah. Thanks. I'll see you next week at our usual time. Thanks for fighting for us, Dr. Fletcher. So there's a couple things that are going on in this scene here. The biggest one is that he's walking around the room, and you can hear it in the clip. He does little shuffles of everything. He's basically putting things back in order. Like, he has some type of OCD that, you know, maybe we don't know about because this is the very first time that we've ever seen Barry before. But it does strike her as a little bit odd. If you've seen the film, you know that this is kind of a little bit of a tell of what is going to be explained a little bit later on. I don't want to go through it right now. Because we will go through it when it happens. But it's just interesting to see him. And I remember thinking when I was in the theater, like, huh, all these little things are odd. But maybe there was something that was a character trait that was carried over from every character. And maybe that was the OCD. So, but there's a couple other things. And even she starts to wonder a little bit towards the end of the clip. Because she says that Barry really, you know, cherishes his, his like, drawings and his fashion stuff. And having it there at the end, like not taking with him, just about to leave, then she's like, huh, don't you want to take these with you? And he's like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot. But again, this is like kind of the wonder of James McAvoy here, because Barry, Barry is probably not one of the more interesting characters and kind of different. I think that's probably closer to it actually being James McAvoy, um, like his kind of regular everyday type of person, like base acting, maybe not, but maybe closer to being, let's say, Kevin than anybody else. There's a little bit of like, you know, maybe because he's into fashion, maybe he's gay or maybe something else, because there's a little bit of that in the sound of his voice. But I feel like that's kind of like the normal guy, right? And you have, or at least maybe the main person that's there all the time, just because of the candor that he has with everything. And Fletcher here, she knows that something's just a little off in the way that he's portraying himself. So she watched him go outside, and then she's approached by her neighbor. And that's kind of an odd situation, because the neighbor's like, I don't know how you can work with these people. They're all kind of a little bit weird. And then she's sitting there on her couch, like, looking at stupid as seen on tv stuff that you would like oh i believe in that but doesn't believe that these people can have like a different type of personality wherever the hell is going on with them so it's just kind of a weird juxtaposition it's a scene that i don't know if the movie necessarily needs but it does make it a little more interesting at least for this moment in the film to see that like People don't understand what's going on, though she does, and she's still friends with this neighbor who is just really odd as it is, and is like, you know, even though she doesn't believe in multiple personalities, there's still something that's freaking wrong with her. So we go back over into the dungeon, and we see that the girls now are trying to figure out a way out of there. As they begin looking through the door, they start hearing different voices, like two voices are talking to each other, but they see somebody with heels in the other room and that's where we get to meet patricia for the very first time i saw the email is under control please tell me it's not too late the phone is waiting is she in that room 
Don't go in there. Don't go in there. Don't worry. I'll talk to him. He listens to me. <sighs> He's not well. He knows what you're here for. He's not allowed to touch you. He knows that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And I fucking... This is where it was like, oh my god, I fucking love this role. Because... It's not just the voice. Like, you hear it in the background, that's him talking to each other. And that could be done through a multitude of things, right? Could be just different, uh, you know, an ADR, things like that. He's not necessarily talking to each other, you know, or to himself. The characters are conversing amongst each other, of course. But when he opens the door and he's dressed as Patricia and he's dressed in that, uh, you know, the, like weird shawl and everything like that it's like you look at the face and the facial expressions are completely different you look at him the way that he furrows his eyebrows the way that he does the inflections with his voice and even the gestures with his face he's a completely different person and it's absolutely amazing like when he's dennis the face is very stern and so is the voice where there's this kind of loving aspect to it, but at the same time, you can tell that there's kind of like a bite in the background of her voice. Because even when she goes to that, I've told him that he, you know, he's not to touch you. Hmm? Hmm? Like, that, like, the look and the way that he does the little noises and flexions, it's so fucking good. It's so fucking amazing, and I'm absolutely just in awe of watching him do this performance. And this was like what my wife was talking about, where she was saying that it's so easy to determine who he is. I mean, anybody could have just done different voices. Every single character acts a little different. And that's shown in one of the later spots in the film. Uh, there's actually two spots where it's done, but there's one where it's, oh, it's so good that I, you know, this is one of the reasons why you need to see the film. It's just for him alone. So she lets them know that they're going to be protected. But one of the things that you hear in the background is something about food. It's simply food. And we really don't get any type of explanation about this right now. But it's something that you start to think about and maybe don't catch right away while you're watching the first parts of the movie. From here we go over and we see that Dr. Fletcher, she has her beliefs. And they're actually being challenged by the conference that she was going to have the Skype conversation with. Now she's not holding her own conference or her own like lecture. But instead, she's being joined to something else. Karen. Joe. They said you can't have your own panel at the national conference. They conceded, however... They can be part of the mood disorder panel. It's not a mood disorder. Oh, I'm aware of your beliefs, Karen. Well, were they open this time with the new evidence? One of your arguments is a dog. You submitted video of a dog acting differently to one of your patients at different times. It is more dramatic than that. They are what they believe they are. The brain has learned to defend itself. You treat them like they're supernaturally gifted, like... Like they have powers or something. Karen, these are patients. They have been through trauma. And perhaps now they are capable of something we are not. We have brain scans now. 
DID patients have changed their body chemistry with their thoughts. So, again, she really feels like there's a way for them to change the way their body works just upon taking these other personalities, which are their thoughts. Now, at the same time, I know that, you know, I'm not going to talk about glass or whatever, but the one thought I had during the scene was, was she really explaining the characters unbreakable, right? Like, those, like, they believe so much that they can do this, that they can do it. So is it not just the fact that, you know, Kevin here has multiple personalities that allow him to take those different roles, but is there something about that belief is stronger than, like, what physically we are? So if we believe that we're the superhero that can't die and can't get hurt, well, not necessarily can't die, but can't take as much damage, then would we actually become that person? Can we unlock that? Or if we believe that we're super smart or something, can we be the smartest person in the world? Or does it really just come to, and she's just talking about DID patients or, you know, the patients that have multiple personalities. So that they believe that they're this person so much that they actually take the role of whatever that person they believe is. Now, honestly, when he's got like, you sent a video of a dog. Like, I think that's pretty damning evidence myself if I do think so. Like... The fact that a dog can be totally attached to one person the moment that they become the other person, the dog doesn't want to fuck with them no more. Like, (laughs) who you is, bitch? Like, (laughs) what the hell? Don't you think that's kind of like showing like, man, that really does lead a little bit of credence to what she's saying? Like, this person is so different that the dog no longer likes that person at all, even though it is exactly the same person. Like, how is the dog supposed to know that they're completely different? But their body chemistry has changed so much that they don't even recognize them as the same person. And I think that's pretty damn interesting, to be honest. And people would just be like, whatever, it's a fucking dog. Who gives a shit? Like, no, don't you know what's going on? So It's just kind of a weird situation I have with that, that the people in the film are written to be like, oh, well, I just don't believe in it. (laughs) Fucking dog, who gives a shit? Going back over to the girls inside of the cell, they're approached by Dennis. He comes in, and he's bringing cleaning supplies with him. And he tells them that, hey, I'm not going to do anything to you. I've been told that I can't, and we need to make sure that you keep your room clean. And so he shows them different bottles, and he tells them exactly what which one does, and then has them go into the bathroom to where he explains a little more of their situation and why they're there. Patricia has reminded me that I was sent to get you for a reason, that you are sacred food, and I promise not to bother you again. Maybe he has a dog or something. I think he's going to feed us to his dogs. I don't know, Marcia. Maybe you need to figure this fucking out or just let Casey figure the whole thing out because she seems to be the one that actually has a lot of the smarts within the group. So they basically are left there. uh, And I don't know, like, they have to clean up the bathroom? Like, this is the big deal that they have? Like, here you go. You guys are food. But, um... Make make sure everything's okay. Make sure it's all nice and clean over here because, you know, 
That way, you'll have nice and clean food, like with this nice bathroom that I've made you. Um, so, shit, I'd love to see your little ass and titties, but I promised that I wouldn't anymore, so, um, clean up and I'll be back later. Like, there is something kind of weird with Dennis, like, that he's the pedophile of the group. I don't know. It's just kind of an odd situation. So, they, it kind of fades out, and we're then introduced to another one of his personas, and possibly the one that I like the most, just because I think that James McAvoy has the most fun doing it, and that happens to be Hedwig. No, 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 not that Hedwig. Not the one that fronts the angry inch. Maybe later we'll talk about them when it's, you know, Terrible Terror Loves Musicals or some shit like that. But no, Hedwig is actually a nine-year-old kid that is very interested in the girls. My name's Hedwig. I have red socks. He's on the moon. What? He's on the Move. Someone's coming for you. And you're not gonna like it. You guys make noises in your sleep. Tell us. I'm not supposed to say. But he's done awful things to people and he'll do awful things to you. I have blue socks too. Where's food? How old are you? Nine. So you're not the guy that took us? No. You're not the lady. What are you, blind? You don't know how they think. No, they don't, they don't tell me much. I just ate a hot dog. Could you help us, Hedrick? No, I'm, I'm not even supposed to be here. I stole a life from Mr. Dennis, but he'll be back real soon. I, I can't steal a life for too long or he'll know and get angry, etc. See ya. Wait. We heard something. We didn't understand it, but now we do. know what we heard? What did you hear? Come here. I'll whisper it to you. Okay. So Casey already knows how to play, like, play Hedwig. See, like, the reason why I like Hedwig is because he really is kind of like a nine-year-old kid. Like, he's really excited about the things that he knows and everything that's going to go on. And then he, like, totally changes the subject just randomly. So it's like, I know who's going to get you. I'm wearing blue socks. 
Like, it's so random. And this is where Casey figures out that he suffers from that multiple person personality disorder and actually doesn't know, like, what the others know. Like, they communicate with each other, but honestly, they are totally separate. When he's in control, he's in complete control. Only Hedwig is the one that actually is able to, like, take over everybody and be the one that basically knows what's going on. But he does say that Dennis will be upset with him if he, like, takes it for too long. So, you have this, like, Casey is eventually, or putting everything together at this moment, understanding the way that he works, and so understands that he does have the mind of a nine-year-old kid, and that maybe she'd be able to manipulate him in the way that she needs to, kind of like the way that she was manipulated as a little kid. Uh, and that is something that comes up a little later in the film. So she, you know, tries to scare him into the fact that the beast is actually coming for him, which causes him to run off. And he does mention something that she starts to think about. He's like, he built this for you. And she realizes that this is all brand new. And Claire and uh, Marcia, they start looking around. They all start pounding the walls trying to find the weak spot while Hedwig has been scared away by Casey. Eventually, Claire finds where the soft spot is and it happens to be on the ceiling directly above the beds. So she begins taking her high heels and actually ripping into the drywall on the ceiling, revealing that there's an air duct right above them and that she's able to get out. Marcia and Casey, they hold the door and Hedwig comes by and he's like, hey, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? You can't, you know, you you gotta let me in. And because he's a kid at this moment, he doesn't have the power to overpower the two. So they're able to hold the door down while Claire is able to rip enough of the ceiling open so that she can escape. But before she's able to escape, Hedwig turns into Dennis, and Dennis has enough power to overpower the two of them. So truly, like, this whole notion that whatever they believe and who they believe they are at that moment actually does change their physiology and gives them enough strength to actually overpower the girls. He tells them to get out of the way, and Clara actually disappears through the ducks. So she runs out, she drops into a random hallway outside, and begins trying to find her way out of there, wherever she is. Eventually, she gets to a, a spot where there's a bunch of lockers, and she can't quite get away, so she decides to hide in one of them. And that's when Dennis shows up. I thought I lost you. Could you, uh... Would you step outside, please? You like to make fun of us, but we are more powerful than you think. Step outside. Please. You shouldn't trick children. That shows who you are. Look at your sweater. It's it's ruined. It's dirty. Remove it. 
Now, Claire here doesn't know the first good rule of solid snaking, and that's you're supposed to push yourself as back, as far back against the locker as possible, and then control your breathing. Don't fucking, like, breathe out loud. Either that, or Dennis is just very good. He's just, he's already got the little exclamation mark above his head, and knows exactly where he needs to go. So, either she's a shitty solid snake, or he's a very good fucking random henchman. The other thing that I find really, really odd about this situation is that she literally doesn't say anything to them. She just tries to get the fuck out of there. I know there's some type of, like, unspoken thing. Like, she gets out, she's going to let them know where they're at and is able to escape and blah, blah, blah. But she doesn't even say anything like that. She just takes the opportunity to just fucking run and leave everybody behind. And, of course, dirting her shirt at the same time. Which... Dennis has a really bad habit about just taking from other people. So he takes this sweater from her and locks her in her own little, like, closet space. Then he goes back over to the room and he tells them that they better not do anything else. And he takes uh, an article of clothing from Casey and he takes the uh, the skirt that <laughs> Marcia was wearing and that's basically it and leaves him alone. So now Marcia gets to walk around in just her underwear and a fucking shirt that doesn't even cover her belly button, but Casey is really, really still well covered up. And this is really interesting too because, and it's possible because I'm staring at these like, you know, girls that are getting more and more naked as time is running on and I'm thinking about it, but Casey at the same time She's hiding herself really, really well. Like, she looks frumpy and doesn't look like she has any type of, I don't want to say sexuality to her, but she's not flaunting anything. Like, what you see with both Marcia and both uh, with Claire is that, like, everything's out on display for the most part. I'm not saying that, like, hey, things are hanging off or whatever is going on, but the fact of the matter is you can see their womanly shape. Okay, I'm not trying to be creepy here, and I know this is going to sound really creepy, but I just want you to understand where I'm going with this, and it's understandable when you know where everything in the movie is going. So, the fact of the matter is, is that really I can't tell anything about Casey. I just see her as plain Jane can blend into a crowd where... If I was walking around and I was around their age and, you know, even now you do fucking look, okay? Um, <laughs> you'd, you would see these girls there and you'd be like, oh, okay, you know, if, if I knew this situation, I'd be like, oh my god, you know, why is she wearing those types of clothes, right? Especially like underneath everything. Why is she dressed like that? But when you look at Casey, you're just like, huh. Like, slowly but surely, as the barriers come down, you see more of what she is, the more of that that she is like a full-grown woman. Again, it sounds creepy, but I'm trying to make a point and not creep everybody out at the same time. Oh, this is difficult. And you don't have a sidekick to go with. Oh, yeah, no, I totally understand what you're saying here. But it's true, right? Like, you know where these girls stand, but you don't know what is going on with Casey. So... Casey and Marcia, they remain locked in the same room, and Dennis fixes the ceiling. Uh, and Claire, she's now separated from everybody else and put into her own cage while they await whatever is going on with the beast. We now cut over to see Dr. Fletcher talk at that panel where she's been downgraded from being a speaker to having to actually participate in just this panel, and she begins to explain a little more of what I talked earlier in terms of taking the light. 
one identity in an individual with dissociative identity disorder can have high cholesterol, one. There have been cases where one identity is allergic to bee stings, the others are not. Are there moments where two identities can coexist at the same time? There are times when two identities can take the light or the spot or consciousness at the same time. This happened with a student that I was working with and her left and right hand were, were taking notes in different handwritings about separate things at the same time. The differences in the identities can be dramatic as much as the difference between you and me and every person in that auditorium. The identities have different IQs, they have different physical strengths. One personality is a Russian weightlifter and can lift three times his body weight. Their ability to hyper-focus and have different experiences is astounding. Have these individuals, through their suffering, unlocked the potential of the brain? Is this the ultimate doorway to all things we call unknown? Is this where our sense of the supernatural comes from? You mean a sixth sense? Oh boy, even I didn't want to make that joke. Anyway, so, yeah, she believes that, uh, you know, people, they have these innate abilities, and maybe the guys that have multiple personalities are the ones that have actually unlocked everything that can get into them. Maybe they are the superpowers that we once thought we had. You know, maybe Superman's not just a guy from Krypton, but really he's a fucking psycho that believes that he's fucking, you know, man, the man of steel that sun powers him and all this other bullshit, and if he just reverted back to being Clark Kent, which is who he really is, then he could just be a normal fucking human. Or, you know, fucking Magneto is, you know, he can't control shit. He really just believes it, and all of a sudden he can move shit with his mind as long as they're done with metal. So, I... <laughs> I guess that's where she's going with the whole situation. And she does receive more emails from Barry, whomever, to have another meeting the next day. And that's where she begins to actually question, like, who is she actually talking to? And we really kind of get it spelled out to us in that little conversation before, because she talks about the person that, you know, is able to write with both hands because the personalities are, you know, combating with each other at the same time they're both trying to take the light and so here we actually have this scene with barry but she begins to believe that something is just not right who are you barry i don't think you are i've developed a nose for sensing whom i'm talking to and whom i'm not I done something? You've emailed for an unscheduled appointment two days in a row. <laughs> We're just feeling overwhelmed. I, I'm garden variety issues. I think Orwell or Jade or Samuel or Heinrich had the light for a moment and emailed me. And you're here to tell me everything's okay. I emailed you. May I talk to one of them, please? That can't happen. 
I told them that I wanted to spend the session with you today. I'm going to ask again, to whom am I speaking with now? Dr. Fletcher, it's Barry. It doesn't seem like Barry. Barry is an extroverted leader. Yes, I am. I'm going to take a professional guess based on the description of all 23 identities that live in Kevin's body that I've gotten from Barry. I think I'm talking to Dennis. But he's been banned from the light because, among other reasons, he has a proclivity to watch young girls dance naked, which he himself knows is wrong and has fought against with little success. I'm encouraged we can finally meet. And I guess this because you've adjusted the chocolate dish twice since you came in here, and I understand you have OCD. <laughs> no, I see. Now I see. That's clever. That's clever. But I'm, I'm, I'm not Dennis. And you and Patricia have been banned from the light for quite a while now, primarily, shall we say, because of your beliefs. Patricia and Dennis are very unstable. I'm not Dennis. Have you both taken charge now? Please believe me. I'm Barry. You must forgive me. It's, my job is to challenge you. <laughs> and as you must know by now, I have plenty of opinions about how everyone should live their lives. <laughs> Ask me something about fashion. I'll prove it. Look, 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 Lynn. Yeah, what? <laughs> you see, I'm not Dennis. You want me to do something else? We got ice cream. Oh, you know, this shirt's a cotton blend anyway. And the collar is from three seasons ago. Snood? I mean, come on. So, either Dennis is really bad at being Barry, or, you know, <laughs> Dr. Fletcher is just really good, like, at knowing which characters are in what situation at that moment in time. And honestly, you kind of notice it with the first scene as well, where he was going around the room constantly fixing everything. And that probably was one of the first tip-offs that she got. And then here in this situation, he's doing it once again. So she kind of figures out that, hey, this is probably not what the the person that says he is. And even with the little scene before where she's talking about, oh, hey, people can occupy the same light at the same time. It's kind of an odd situation. You did see that, too, where Patricia and Dennis were arguing with each other earlier in the film. So there are some really big signs here. Um, and it's this is one of those things where I'm like, um, the, the M. Night movies I didn't really like so much, that's what was given to me. Like, oh, this is obvious for obvious reasons. And it actually has a place here, and it kind of works, but you can kind of start piecing things together on your own. It's still a, uh, I can't believe that this is going to be doing this, but at the same time, you're, you're still really focused on what's going, did she really believe it, or did she not? And so Barry leaves, uh, or should I say Dennis, Dennis leaves, and she goes over to her friend Jay, who I guess is like the building guy that also has all the video recordings for outside to watch the people going by, who happens to be played by M. Night Shyamalan. So there is his little cameo for the film, and they make a Hooters reference where she talks shit about Hooters wings. But god damn it, those are some good fucking wings as well as that buffalo fucking shrimp, man. That is some good shit. But, you know, 
she's making fun of it and they're watching the outside stuff and they notice that the garbage bin like turned over and he purposely walks through the garbage and he's like wouldn't a normal person just go around it and like for her she's like yeah but he purposely does it because that's like him trying to prove that he's Barry and not Dennis. Like he knows that those things are out there. And if he were to go around or be OCD about it, he wouldn't just walk right through it where he's trying to prove, Oh, I don't care if I walk through it. I'm going to force myself to go through. And that's going to prove that I'm Barry and not Dennis and not raise any flags. But even M Knight here says a normal person would have just gone around through it. And he purposely walked through the trash. It's either that or Dennis just doesn't like Barry and so he's like ruining his clothes for him or some shit like that. It could also be that and I could be completely wrong, but I like to believe it's still the fact that he knows that he's being watched and so he's trying to prove that he's not OCD and therefore not Dennis. From here, we go back to another flashback and we see that uh, Casey and her dad are talking about a buck that Casey's dad just shot. The thrill. Casey, is about whether you can or can't outsmart this animal. See, you didn't used to like to come out here. This is like our family tradition, right? Good shot, big brother. So she wakes up and Patricia is above her with something to eat. She's made them sandwiches. And so she takes uh, Marcia and... Casey into the kitchen of the place so that way they can have a proper meal. Marcia asks, hey, can you bring Casey or Claire to come eat with us? And she says no, because Claire is a very bad girl, and Claire is forced to go ahead and sit in her little closet by herself without any attention. Uh, this is where you kind of get the weirdness of Patricia, right? You realize that she's a motherly figure, but at the same time she's very, like, she has this like anger streak to her and later on you see where this character is manifested from i just don't want to get into it just yet it's so difficult like i'd love to talk about the whole thing but we'll we'll get to that point um and so she's like oh yeah she starts talking about asian music she's being very caring very loving oh i'm gonna make you guys another sandwich and then when she's making the sandwiches she doesn't cut it quite right and she just slams her hand down on the table and all of a sudden, well, on the cutting board, I should say, and she's like, it's crooked. And it's like slightly off. It doesn't really look that crooked. And so she starts to make another sandwich. And that's where Marcia believes that she has the ability to escape. So what she does is while she's sitting there making the next sandwich, she grabs a chair, goes full WWF on her and just breaks it over her back and starts trying to run away. Uh, Casey tries to block her for a second, but she gets out of the way and allows Patricia to chase after Marcia. So Patricia is chasing her around this uh, little complex that we got down here and actually corners Marcia in one of the rooms where she can't escape. And that's where we get kind of the other side of, like, Patricia's motherliness. And the sun, we will find our passion. In the sun, we will find purpose. <laughs> You've always been protected. You've never truly suffered. And that's why we chose you. You've always been asleep. You've never had a chance. 
She's gonna be kept in another closet. I might as well know at this point. The Beast, he's coming for you. All three of you, you're gonna be kept separate. You've got, you've got a, you've got a crumb on your shirt. You've got, let's take it off. Just, just take it off. So, Again, he's got this weird obsession with, like, cleanliness, and he's using it as an excuse to get them basically nakeder and nakeder, if <laughs> that is the word that I want to use, but more nude, right, as everything goes along. Yet, with Casey, she has so many different layers of shirts, he can never get her down to actually the way that the other girls are. Uh, there also was another conversation in between Patricia and Casey, that's very interesting because Patricia starts talking about lions and how the pride uh, eats, uh, you know, so much in its weight. And then she turns around and gives her own fun fa- animal fact where male bucks, well, bucks in general, because there are no female bucks, that would be does, uh, <laughs> that they eat 30% of, or they lose 30% of their weight when they're in mating season. And she's like, huh, that's because they're like, I forgot what the word was. And they basically work 24 hours a day during that point in the season running around trying to get, you know, a hold of a girl. And it's like it's something interesting between them. And it shows really how smart Casey is in terms of not like they may be smart, like Marcia and Claire may be smart, smart. But she's like life smart. Like she knows all these special things and she realizes that there's some interest there by Patricia or just those characters in general, and that she's kind of still playing everybody and trying to understand how to get out of there. So even when she like tries to block the way from Arcia, when Patricia sells, tells her, go to your room, she just turns around and goes back to her room, doesn't try to do anything to stand. Now, that meeting in between Patricia and Marcia is really fucking cool as well, because the tension is so tight there. As she comes up, she's talking really, really calm, but she's holding the knife in her hand, and she's inching it ever so closely to Marcia, and you just focus on her belly button and the knife, and the knife is, like, right there, slowly inching its way, almost going into it as she's breathing, and you can see Marcel pulling her stomach back, trying to suck that gut in as much as she possibly can. There's not much one there. You know, unlike me, I would have been screwed when he tried to get, like, within an inch of me. It would have already gone through the stomach, and probably I'd be on the floor fucking bleeding out or some shit like that. But for her, she just... Like, it's there, and it's just like, oh my god, is she going to push it in? What is she going to do? And it's just, she's talking all weird, and how everything's going on, and then, oh, nope, she didn't. She got locked in her own room, right next door to Claire over there. So now Marcia and Claire are locked in closets, and Casey, she's left in the room by herself. Then she goes to sleep, and then she's woken up by Hedwig, and Hedwig begins to talk to her a little bit more about what's going on, but then he gets a little weird too, but it's not in a, uh, you know, a dentist type of way. It's in a kid type of way. Here, listen to what I mean. What you said about me, Patricia. You lied. I'm sorry about that, Edward. You guys lied to me. 
Make me scared, etc. Miss Dennis, he says you wear a lot of shirts. I like this shirt. Do you know who Dennis and Miss Patricia are? See, every one of us has to wait in a chair, and Barry, he decides who stands in the light. But Barry lost that power because of me. I can wish myself in the light anytime I want. It's a, it's a special power. Barry just has to keep sitting in his chair if I want him to. That's why Dennis and Miss Patricia said I could be with them. Dennis and Miss Patricia, they believe in the beast and what he can do. Have you seen him? A beast? No, can I kiss you? I wanted to kiss the other girl with the dark hair, but she's in trouble. So you want to? I mean, I don't know much about kissing though. Yeah. So he's got this like childhood, like innocence about what kissing is. And he seems to like, oh, well, you're the last one left who's not in trouble. So I guess I can kiss you, but I really want to kiss the other girl. Like it's just, it's like, it's creepy because you're looking at James McVoy, right? Because he's a grown man. But if you're thinking of it in terms of the kid, it's not that creepy. It's kind of cute. At the same time, uh, it's definitely one of those situations where you're like, uh, and even the scene that comes next is really cringy. But before I go into that, I do want to talk about, like, once they go back to the room, there is another little flashback with the uncle, where the uncle wakes up before everybody, and she's kind of staring at him, and then he walks off into the distance, and then she's woken up by Hedwig. It's really kind of an odd scene, and you're not sure exactly what's going on here, but you know that there's something up with creepy uncle dude. So getting back over to Hedwig and her, she does agree to kiss him. And there's this really awkward and cringy, like totally cringy thing of him leaning into her. But it's like, it's exactly like a kid that doesn't know anything, but knows that kissing exists, like doesn't really know how to do it. Like he grew up with a bunch of boys and all of a sudden it's like, well, nobody's going to do it. Or he doesn't see his parents ever kiss uh, in front, so instead he like leaves his mouth open and she puts her mouth there and then they kind of touch and then he's like, <laughs> he comes back with this. You might be pregnant now. Can I go kiss her? Yeah. I like dancing. You like dancing? I, I, I like dancing to my CD player in my room. Kanye West is my main man. I, we got my, my CD player set up in my, my room right, right, right next to my window. I'm like, mmm, um, mmm, 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 got the moves. Oh. Maybe I could watch you dance and listen to music with you. No, my music's in my room. Oh, right. Maybe you could sneak me there. Are you trying to trick me? Etc. I'll tell on you. 
I'm, I'm telling on you. I'll tell you something. And you can tell me if I'm lying or not, okay? Mm -hmm. Like a test. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. I get into trouble at school on purpose. So I can get sent to detention. To get away from everyone. So that I can be alone. Okay, I'll show you something cool in my room. So, this is kind of a weird situation. So, from the first pack, like, part of that clip, when he's asking the kisser, like, we learn a lot more of what's going on. We learn that Barry, he's the main personality, right, with everything in there, and that Hedwig knows exactly how to get into the light. Like, he's the only one that can wish it, and he can take it over, and he can be the main one. That's how he's able to talk to her and kind of give her a little more insight because he really is interested in the girls because, hey, he's nine years old, he's a little boy, and there's all these girls. When you were that young, you know, you probably looked around at all the other different girls that were out there, and the ones that were more developed, you probably were kind of drawn to, I would say. Uh, but you would always, you know, you, you kind of be the one that was out there, like the little, oh, I'm the little cute kid or whatever it is. But you always wanted to be around, whether they were girls or not, though, at the same time, you wanted to be around the older people. So there's probably why he's taking away the light away from Dennis and from Patricia at this point. And Patricia seems to be like the ringleader of the whole situation. Like, she's the one that's actually pulling the strings. Dennis is the, like you know, rough and tumble, whatever, and they both use Hedwig, and Casey kind of sees that from everything that's going on, and she tells him a very personal little story of what she does, so that way she can manipulate him a little bit better, and actually get him to agree to take her basically out into where she believes there's a window, right? Because he doesn't know any better. He thinks that, oh man, she's just into me. We just kissed and everything's cool like that. I love that little line of, now you're pregnant. Like, after everything was cringy and done, it's fucking hilarious. Especially when you see it in the context of the film. Uh, but it's just so... It's like she knows because he's the age that he is. She knows exactly what she needs to do to get what she needs out of him. It's really creepy at the same time but it makes sense as you watch the rest of the film and honestly at this point we're about halfway through the film um this is a long movie at almost two hours but it doesn't really feel like it when you're watching it and hence this podcast is a lot longer than i'm anticipating it to be so again there are, this is a situation where i think that we're looking at two different time points here because we then cut over and we see that Barry has gone back to the doctor. And because there's been more emails that have been sent over. But Hedwig has agreed to take, um, you know, Casey over to the room and show him the CD player. And something really, really special that he's got inside that room. So we know that these two aren't happening at the same time. And really this is over the course of a couple of days. Because it's a brand new day each time he goes and sees Dr. Fletcher. So... Now, at this kind of previous time at Dr. Flesh's office, she's gotten more emails for the another urgent meeting, and she's really put together 
who that person that is in charge of that body. She believed that it was Dennis before. She kind of got her, like, you know, after seeing the surveillance video, you know, her guess is right. And here's where she actually knows exactly who it is. I had a thought. Mm-mm. I want to talk about the incident at work. It's okay, Barry. You're safe. I just want to bring the details back. We'll just talk about the details a high school from Camden, New Jersey, was on a field trip at your place of work, and two young ladies came up to you, and one took your hand and put it under her shirt on her breast, and the second one did the same, and then they just ran off laughing to their friends. You surmised that it might be on a dare. You said they were 17 or 18. You said it upset you for days. It was just a teenage prank. I, I get that now. And see, that's my mistake. I believe that I went over this incident with you too fast. Although you said you were fine, and the other identities I met with said it was fine, I believe that this brought up issues from when you were a child and abused. Sometimes another incident of abuse can cause suppressed personalities to take the light. Dennis... If this is you, I completely understand why you felt the need to take over and protect the others. <laughs> Doctor, not this again. The others told me that you and Patricia told the group about this beast. And I told them that these are just scary stories that Dennis and Patricia tell the others to scare them. How this beast can crawl on walls like the best rock climbers using the slightest friction and imperfections to hold his body close to seemingly sheer surfaces. How his skin is thick and tough like the hide of a rhinoceros. Do you really believe the stories about the beast? If this is you, Dennis... I understand why Kevin needs you. You are strong and disciplined. You are precise. And you will not be taken advantage of. You can trust me. For example, I do have the ability to use Kevin's full name and bring him forward as he has in the past. But I wouldn't do that. I know that that would be chaos for all of you. Everyone would grab the light. I don't want to hurt any of you that way. You don't have to hide. I know you are someone who cares for Kevin. You are not evil to me. You were necessary. Dennis, is that you? And so this is when Barry starts transforming over into Dennis. So we actually do get to see him make that change. And how Dennis has actually been portraying Barry the entire time that we've been seeing him with Dr. Fletcher. So it's a little bit of a twist here, but I think we all kind of saw it coming because we saw the signs as we were watching the film. And this also spawns from this incident at work. And she believes that Dennis was actually created by that incident that the fact that there's these because dennis likes young girls and that while he was at work one of the girls forced him to touch her boobs 
Like, he was acting, the whatever, how he was acting, maybe he was acting as Hedwig, and that's when that happened, right? Because he's acting like a little kid, he's just doing his job, and then all of a sudden the girls are like, oh my god, he's acting like this, maybe we can make him do this, or it's really Dennis just coming out, and that's, at that point, it was Dennis actually doing the actions, we really will never know, but it's interesting to think that at this situation, at this point in time, like, that's when everything came out, and we know that Dennis exists to, like, hide the fact that maybe Kevin actually has an interest in that as well. We don't really know. All we know is that that personality itself likes <laughs> likes that and enjoys that. So, all of a sudden, here comes Dennis, and that's part of what's putting everything and actually bringing him into the light uh, or at least revealing himself in this situation because, you know, she knows that it's Dennis and she wants to explain that she understands him and knows why he exists and why he protects Kevin and it stems from something that's here. The other thing that's interesting that between all these conversations so far, they have never talked about where he works. They don't, she just like, oh, you work at this place and everybody's happy with you. Oh, how was your work? Oh, it's great to hear you from your work. But they never say exactly where he is. And we find out the reason for that a little later on in the film. So let's continue on the conversation between Dr. Fletcher and now uh, Dennis that has come into the light as they talk about the beast. Would you mind telling me when you first came into existence? And how you and Patricia, the other undesirable identity, became aligned. That's okay. Do you still have strong beliefs? That depends on what. This story of the beast. One thing, Dennis, that may comfort you, if you are confused, is that you've met the other altars. You're all in a room in chairs, right? But you never met the beast because he doesn't reside with the rest of you. Because he resides in the train yard, as the story goes, because Kevin's dad left on a train. But the fact is, you and Patricia have never met the beast, have you? No. That's because he's not an altar. He's not the 24th identity. He's a fantasy. How do you know that he's a fantasy? How do you know that he's not real? I mean, we kind of all have these questions right now inside the back of our minds. I mean, we've all seen the trailers. We've all seen what's been going on in the film. But they believe so deeply, these two identities, Patricia and Dennis, believe in the Beast so much. And... The fact that there's something to do with his father and a train and that's where the beast actually is, meaning that the beast is coming. It's coming to them on the train. It's really quite amazing that she can't, like, even think of how, like, she's trying to suppress the situation. She's trying to get, like, Dennis and them to believe that there isn't this that exists. So all of a sudden that we can have this nice, happy relationship and everybody can live in it together, but... Barry and them, they don't want Patricia and Dennis to be anywhere near because they believe in this, like, nonsense. They've totally given up the beast, and now they're trying to understand, like, why these two want to have this control to let it out. Or they know it exists, 
and they're trying to suppress it from being coming to light. From here, we cut back over from their conversation to Hedwig leading Casey into his room and showing him the whole room. And he actually plays the CD, and this is probably one of my favorite little scenes and thing, where James McAvoy is just looking like he's having tons of fun doing these, like, kid-style dances. And, like, they're just so out of place, and they're so, like, random, and this is the way that he's dancing with everything. It's really fun to watch. And he eventually stops the CD, and he, like... <laughs> It's just the expression on his face when he's like, ah, yeah. And she goes, wow. And he's like, yeah, I know, right? Like, he's so impressed with himself in the way. And he thinks that he's impressed her because his moves were so, like, fly. Uh, and he was able to actually, you know, do these dances for somebody else. But in all honesty, this is another way that's opening for Casey to actually try to outwit Hedwig and find a way out of there. This is your CD player? Yeah. You don't like it? It's, it's not new. No. No, I'm just, uh... I'm, I'm confused. You said it was near a window. Oh, that's here! <laughs> what? Now it's closed. Now it's open. Now it's closed. Now it's open. Did you think it was a real window? So you could leave? Etc. Help me get out of here, Hedwig. Just get me the keys and let me out the door. Please. Miss Patricia says that nobody will make fun of me anymore when the beast comes. She says that everyone will see how amazing I am and that all of the silly mistakes, they won't matter anymore. I, I think you should go back to your no, room. Wait, no, wait, please. I want to hear your Kanye West albums. No. Show me your rooms. Stay here. I'm sorry I asked to leave. You said you wanted to show me something cool, right? No. Show me something. I don't want to. Please. Sit! Oh, wow. That's nice. Not a toy. Mr. Dennis's. He doesn't even know I stole it. Pretty cool, right? You can listen to people talking and they don't even know you're listening. What does this talk to? Don't touch that. I just want to see if it works. Hey, hey, what are you doing? Don't touch those buttons. You're going to get us found yeah, out. Yeah, he's gonna... gated. What up? Hello? What's this? 
Hello, hello, my name is Casey Cook. I'm being held in a basement. I've been abducted with two other girls. Who the hell is this? Hello? Casey Cook, I've been abducted. You need to find me. Maddie, is that you? Call the police. I must be near you. I'm being held in a basement or something. Okay, Betty, listen. Tell Larry and Finch I said hi. Tell him I still got his orange headphones. I don't know where I am. There's a man here. He abducted us and he's going to kill me. So wouldn't your first reaction, uh, being the guy on the other end of the walkie-talkie, be more than just... What? Oh, this is a joke, right? Especially after the third time that she says, Hey, uh, you know, I've been abducted. This is who I am. You may have heard about me on the news, you know. Uh, I'm pretty sure that there have been reports that three girls were stolen. And I think we even hear about it earlier in the film on one of the, like, news stations or whatever. And she says her name and they'd be like, Oh, okay, that's the girl that was, like, kidnapped, right? Like, I should be able to go out there and do something and say something. But no, he's just totally like, uh. And you have Hedwig attacking her with a baseball bat, and she's able to push him off and totally get away from him. But then all of a sudden she becomes Patricia, or Hedwig becomes Patricia, and is able to subdue her and turn off the radio and totally escape the whole situation that's going on. I like the set in the beginning where Hedwig is like, you expected that window to be real? And she's like, no, and she's like, totally defeated. But at the same time, she's still trying to, you know, manipulate the situation because he's still in Hedwig form at this point and making sure that here we are, like, you got to help me get out. Please, please, please help me. Show me what you got. And that's the point that she gets out the, or he gets out the walkie-talkie and everything just kind of breaks loose at that moment. Hedwig is manipulated by both sides. He's manipulated by Dennis and Patricia because he has the power to control the light and just take it over. And it could be childhood innocence. Maybe that's the reason why he can do it. I really wish that was explained, but it's never really done in this film. At the same time, you've got him like Casey's really, she just wants to get out of there and get out alive and maybe get help for everybody else that's in there. And so she's manipulating him in the way that she knows how to manipulate a young kid. So, she gets thrown back in the room by Dennis, and Dennis explains to her what is coming for her. The beast is a sentient creature who represents the highest form of human's evolution. He believes the time of ordinary humanity is over. I hope this makes you feel calm. You will be in the presence of something greater. I was going to ask for your last shirt, but but I won't. Because tonight is a sacred night. It's almost over. So Dennis totally leaves her locked up in the room and just continues on to go, trying to go out for the night. We go and have a little bit of a flashback over with her, and we see that she's got this situation when again when she was a kid, and she walks up upon her uncle. She followed her uncle out in the forest from the last time that we saw her, and saw that he was, like, going off in the distance, and then he's like, he says, hey to her over, like, by a cave, let's play animals. And it's like, oh, shit. So this is what's wrong with her. 
Like, the uncle, of course, abused her in some way, shape, or form, and this is what has been affecting her. This is why she's doing everything. And even when you see with Dennis, like, he's not taking over the last bit of her clothing, but she's not showing herself like she's been shown before. So, you can see why, like, it's gotten to that situation, why she kind of hides herself away, why she gets in trouble all of the time, why she runs away from home. It all has something to do with this experience that she had with her uncle. And we go from that to another scene where you see the uncle coming back, getting dressed, and then she's holding a gun. And I remember in the theater, I'm like, oh shit, like, did she kill the uncle? Is that why... Like, she has all these things, like, she did this and nobody believed her why she actually did it. They thought it was just a mistake, but she still has these memories with her. And he starts begging her, don't do it, you don't know what you're doing, I'm your uncle, you know. And she cocks the shotgun and everything and doesn't kill him. He is able to grab it in time and he's just like, I can't believe you did that. Uh It cuts from that scene and you're like, that's really weird, like... I would have expected it to be that way. I would have expected him to be the one that, you know, he died because of her. And that's why she knows how to fight for herself. But she couldn't do it. She just was not able to do it in her mind, even though these other things were happening with her. So back over at where, you know, we see that Dennis is trying to leave for the night. Then all of a sudden a taxi cab shows up and it happens to be Dr. Fletcher. And she's coming to his place of work. So now you can kind of start to put two and two together. You still don't know where he works, but he works somewhere underground, and that's where he's hiding the girls. So she doesn't know that they're there, but she suspects there's something going on with him right now. So he decides, or she wants to go in, and she wants to talk a little bit more. And so, of course, Dennis sits down with her, fixes her something up nice, because he believes that she truly is there to help them. And that she believes in them, so there has to be something that she believes in when they talk about the beast. And he explains to her that, actually, I have seen the beast before. Who are you going to meet? I want to talk about Kevin and what his mother did to him. I remember it all. I'm happy you're suddenly so open. Kevin's mother had rather malevolent ways of punishing this three-year-old. Is that when you arrived in the light? Yeah. The one way to avoid her attention was to keep everything spotless, everything perfect. I know you're coming from good intentions, Dennis, but there are other ways to help Kevin now. I've lost so many patients into the system. I want you to know, Dennis, I will never stop fighting for you. My patients have become my family. They are what I've chosen instead of a more traditional path. I hope you feel you can be truly honest with me. I actually want to be honest with you. I lied before. When you asked if I'd ever met the beast, I said, no, that really isn't true. You wrote about a woman in Germany who'd been blind for 10 years. And then it was discovered that she had DID. 
Then three of her identities developed sight. You speculated that her optical nerves regenerated because of her beliefs. What are you trying to say? There are things, Dr. Fletcher, that all of us would find hard to believe. Are you trying to tell me there's a 24th identity? You protect the broken. When you said that you thought this situation was extraordinary, I knew you could maybe understand. Understand what? The beast is real. He's just emerged. You were right about everything. What does he look like? He's much bigger than I am. And I'm the biggest of all of us. He's tall. He's very muscular. He's got a long mane of hair and his fingers are twice the length of ours. He believes we are extraordinary. We don't represent a mistake, but our potential. You say the same things. He's on the move. What does that mean? I don't understand. He can't be real. There must be limits to what a human being can become. And there's another whole part of the story, isn't there? About the eating of the impure young. What does impure even mean? Well, we should discuss that so that you can understand fully. Understand what? Sometimes. There's just no other way. So, okay, there's a lot to take in here. So, Dennis was actually spawned, from what I'm gathering, from what his mother did, right, to poor old Kevin. Like, she was very, very strict as a kid, um, she, they lost, he lost his father in some way, shape or form. And that's with the train. Either he left or he died on that train or something around that. Like he either left them, or, but he's no longer with them. Right. So you have this overbearing mother who is very OCD and that portion of the OCD-ness kind of comes from her. All this childhood trauma is building into these different personalities so patricia is like his mom right his mom the kind but at the same time extremely stern person like these are the ones that he have been like hiding off it was at least what i can see in terms of the horde right when we're talking about the horde so patricia is that part of his mom and then you have the cleanliness side of it oh we have to be so clean we have to do this or else i'm going to get in trouble that's a dennis Right. Dennis takes that portion. And then the kid part of him where he wasn't able to be like, I don't want to give this like a Michael Jackson type of situation here, but maybe he wasn't able to be the kid that he wanted to be. And that's where Hedwig comes from. And now Hedwig is just the child personality that he had from whatever all this stuff going on, uh, that can come out. And he just, when he just wants to be the child again, he can bring it out at any fucking time. But in this situation, you know, the the motherly and, and the cleanliness side of the stuff where he grew up is now controlling everything. And the beast sounds like it's actually going to be a part of his father coming back. Like, the fact that his father is going to come back into his life in some shape or form 
and it could be something violent that's happened to him before. So it's really kind of an interesting situation. It could be a bunch of different things. I could be completely fucking wrong, but I do think that Patricia definitely represents her, and so does Dennis. Like, those two together represent, and him wanting to be like, he's like, I won't be weak anymore. Hedwig, that's why he's following them, because the beast is going to be this overarching, like, this is dad coming home, and I can be just like my father, who was either a great man or, or whatever he was, but did get killed on a train. Um, which could be another hint, hint, wink, wink uh, moment for the film. So Dr. Fletcher here, she decides that she's going to go, you know, she's like, okay, well, we'll talk about this later. I'm going to leave. She starts stuffing a uh, cloth into one of the, the door handles uh, so that way she can open the door and won't actually close on her. And then she says, oh, is there a restroom that I can use? And so he tells her, yes, you can go out. And he goes, she goes down there, but she actually finds Claire in one of the rooms. When she discovers Claire, she gets, uh, you know, approached by Dennis. And Dennis actually uses some of the same knockout stuff to knock out her that he used to knock out the two girls. And puts her in one of the rooms and leaves to go for the night. You see Dennis going to the train station. He goes up to a counter with flowers and he buys these flowers, and they're specifically for Patricia. And Patricia goes, oh, these smell great. It's really kind of creepy. Uh, and it's, I like the way that it's done. And it's like the characters again, like there's a reason like they're, he's, it, it, that's where it makes me feel like that's the mother figure, right? Because just like the mom, he's buying her flowers because she enjoys them. And then he puts the flowers down on the, uh, the train tracks and steps onto the train. Meanwhile, we see that Casey, she found something like when she was getting thrown into the room, something had dropped on the floor and she's using that to try to escape to basically unlock the door and get out of there. And she's able to get into the middle room of the whole thing, but can't open the other thing. And that's when she looks at the computer because she thinks that it has Internet access. And instead, she notices that there's videos for every other personality that he's become. With regard to Jahamana's defeat and Muhammad Ugor's conquest between 1192 and 1200, I would liken it to Muhammad's brazen ultimatum that Prithviraj either positize or fight. <laughs> like Prithviraj's defiance, we should stand up to the Horde's advances. In the face of their scare tactics, we should choke. I hate my insulin shots. No one else around here has to take them. Why do I have to be diabetes? All the doctors, besides Dr. Fletcher, say that we're the same person, just personalities. Huh? How do you explain I'm the only one that needs these, you motherfucker? I'm wearing cargo pants from the 90s. And a scarf. If it wasn't for the Farfados t-shirt underneath, I'd be a mess. I got no taste of things right now. I'm worried, sick. I have a very bad feeling that I'm losing time. I decide who gets the light, right? I think someone is stealing the life from me when I'm not aware. The Horde keeps obsessing about the ones who haven't suffered. I don't know. Where they're going with this, but it scares me. So we see that 
you know, at the end of this part, we see that Dennis has stepped onto the train and he's slowly walking down the subway like train and he's disrobing at the same time and slowly becoming the beast back at the, you know, at his living space in the headquarters or what we want to call it. Dr. Fletcher has woken up and she starts writing down something on a piece of paper. And she's kind of woozily trying to get up there and she grabs a knife because she hears something coming. You see actually him running through the streets, going back and going to go after the girls at this point. Uh, I should also mention that uh, Mauricia and, you know, Claire, they've been talking to each other. Mauricia, she's found, or Marcia, not Mauricia, whatever the fuck her name is. Uh, Marcia has found a, a hook of a, like a clothes hanger and a wire one. No wire hangers, goddammit. And he, she's bending it so that she can unlatch the lock because they've got a sliding lock on the top. So when she does that, like, I can't believe she has such accuracy, the, the greatest accuracy in the world, because she's able to hit it a couple times and she's not able to see shit. All she's doing is reaching up over the top of the door and then like, oh, like feeling for it. And oh, I can kind of get it. Oh, I haven't gotten it. And then when she does, like, she doesn't do anything special with, like, it's not really doing anything. Like, it makes no fucking sense. There's got to be a better way to do it. And honestly, Casey's way of doing it and how she was able to get out as unbelievable as that was as well, it actually worked. So, but she also doesn't have one of those old school sliding locks on the top. Not the ones where you like latch it shut, but you know the ones that slide over the portion of the door. Uh, but maybe she could have banged on it. Maybe it would have been shoddily made. I, I don't know. I just felt like that was a little too unbelievable in that situation. So they're trying to get out. The beast is running back there and Dr. Fletcher is now awake. And then all of a sudden the beast shows up into Dr. Fletcher's office. Well, in, into the room that she was in, not in her office. Like, oh, she didn't make it back. And she turns around and sees him and he's got just like veins everywhere. Like he's had like the baddest workout that he's ever had in his life. He's feeling that pre-workout and he's just about to go fucking crazy and she tries to get away and he grabs her and he starts squeezing her. She takes the knife and starts trying to stab him, but the tip of the knife completely breaks. It is exactly like what Dennis was telling her and that the skin is going to become as tough as nails and nothing's going to be able to penetrate it. And the knife that she was trying to stab him with doesn't. This is also the scene where my wife was like, I can't watch this old lady get killed. And she does. <laughs> she gets squoze into death, uh, and Dr. Fletcher is left there. She tries to say his name because if you remember earlier in one of the clips, she said she has a way to bring Kevin forward, which is to say his full name. And so she tries to, but she can't because she's still groggy from the stuff that's been sprayed into her face. And so she drops down dead. We go back over to Casey and Casey is, cannot get out of the room. She's tried all this stuff. It's locked. And then all of a sudden, one of Barry's tapes, he just, he finishes up talking. He's just like, look, I'm gonna, I have to get out of here for a little while. And he goes and grabs his coat and underneath this coat, there's a set of keys. He uses those, or Casey uses those keys to get out of the room. And as she's going down, she starts, like, she looks at one of the open doors and there is Marcia on the ground dead with, or basically a piece of her stomach completely taken out like it's been bitten through by like a lion or a tiger or something like that she goes into the next room and we see claire there she's laying on the ground and she's really hurt 
she reaches out to him and that goddamn horror pull him away thing happens. But honestly, it's a little effective in this film. Like, because you're not expecting these things to happen. And honestly, as I was watching him, like, I was never expecting the beast to actually be real. So it's a very pleasant surprise the beast actually exists in this. So he grabs Claire and then you just see him and he's starting to eat her and she gets away. And while she, she ends up in one of the rooms and she's looking around trying to escape. And that's when she looks down and she sees that what Dr. Fletcher has written down, she does see a dead Dr. Fletcher, was his full name, which was Kevin Wendell Crumb. And just like this is straight out of the league, like they're trying to shout whatever Shiva, Kanami, Kanami, whatever the fuck her name is. Uh, she begins shouting out his name and something interesting happens. Crumb, you made a mess. Come out here. Kevin Wendell Crumb, you made a mess! Get out here! September 18, 2014, right? There's a shotgun I bought. It's in the bottom cabinet hidden behind things. The shells are in my uniform closet out in the service hall. Kill me. Don't do that. He can't handle reality. My name is Jade. Has Dr. Fletcher been getting our emails? This is what we have to do. We can... As in 1008, when Anadipala suffered the Shahi's most crushing defeat and Mahmud overran the entirety of the Punjab region, taking the famed Temple of Kangra, we have been wronged by this alliance, this horde of Patricia, Dennis, and the boy. Their actions do not represent us. They... Are every everybody just take a minute? Oh, baby girl, 
They've been stealing control of their life from me, but their group are gonna work through this. Honey, my name is Barry. You shouldn't have used the walkie-talkie. They almost caught us. Stop it, Edwig! <laughs> they were right. Look at you. You're so frightened of us. Dennis and Miss Patricia are in charge because of me. I'm gonna give the light to them now. No one's allowed to make fun of me anymore. And so this is probably my favorite scene in the movie. Just watching him go through the different personalities on the fly. Like again, every different, like the voices change every so much, but it's also the facial expressions that he's going through. And the fact that bringing everybody to the front is exactly what she said would happen, right? So he comes out there as Kevin. He wants himself to be killed. He's like, dude, I know this is happening. And you gotta go get that shotgun. You gotta fucking kill me. Just fucking do it. And then all of a sudden the other personalities start taking over one by one by one. And they all are trying to like say, look, you kill us. You kill all of us. If you just kill him, not all of us are bad. We can totally fight back. But they don't know that Hedwig has the ability to take them all over. And if she just went and got the shotgun and just killed him at that fucking moment, then it would be all over. But of course it takes too long. And they bring Patricia and Dennis back to the front, which allows the beast to come back out. She does manage to run away for a second and get the shotgun and go down the hallway to where, you know, Claire had reached. And instead of solid snaking, she looks around and she sees that there is a locker with his name on it. She goes in there and she sees that there's a set of shotgun shells and grabs the shells and starts running around. She gets tripped up by the beast who actually takes a big piece out of her leg. And the way that the scene is done, it's very tension-filled, and it's very like, oh my god, is she actually going to get out? How are we going to do this? Even though you kind of have a feeling that there's going to be more that's actually going to be... Like, you'd think that she's going to get away, but there's a possibility that maybe she's not, because things in this film, the way that you thought they were going to be, you're like, oh yeah, maybe this is really... It actually has happened. So, there still is a possibility. She manages to get into, uh, she gets away from him after he takes a piece of her leg out and gets into a cage at the end of the hallway. And that's where she has one last flashback to her past. It runs in our family. My daddy died too. Same way. Heart attack. But you don't need to worry. I'm going to take care of you. I honestly don't know what to say right here because this is something that I totally did not expect. Like, I really thought that something else was going to come out of all this. I really felt like she had some type of redemption. Like, okay, she's totally endured these hardships and everything that's going on here. And then all of a sudden we find out right there at the end as the beast is approaching her that her dad died due to a heart attack. and she's been left with that asshole. Like, 
that's her guardian now is her uncle that possibly more than likely pretty sure it actually happened did shit to her and probably has continued to do shit to her see like the whole creepy thing that i had to go through earlier it really is because of this and like my understanding of it now is that if her uncle is a predator right she has downplayed her sexuality she's completely covered herself multiple times and there is another reason for it too which will be coming up in a moment but the fact of the matter is is that she doesn't want to be seen in that regard because of the shit that's gone on in her life and the fact that her uncle the same person that was doing this shit to her and possibly is still doing this shit to her is the one that is now taking care of her we don't know anything about a mother figure. We don't know anything about anybody else, grandparents, whatever. We know that the grandfather is dead because when he was young, his father died as well. But we don't know what else is going on. And she's the only one that's privy to anything else that's going on. So the mom is nowhere to be found. Like, this is some ridiculously tragic Disney movie where the mom is dead. <laughs> Got the parents dead. Now the dad's died and she's stuck living with the evil, you know, uncle who's now trapping her into this life. And who knows whatever else the, like the fuck has gone on, but it's enough to fuck her up to where she argues with people. She doesn't know what, like, she doesn't want anybody to know what's going on, but they can't understand her pain. So when Claire, in the beginning of the movie, is being like, why aren't you one of us? It's because she's not. You've had nothing. You've had the perfect life. You have loving parents that have done nothing to you. You have, you know, you don't have to endure the pain that has gone through with the shit that she's had to deal with. You, She is not like you, and it's for a damn good reason. And it's a damn good reason that she acts the way that she does. You know, she knows survival because she has to survive on a regular fucking basis. It's not just about going out there and using your brute fucking force because brute fucking force doesn't always work. So you have to figure out how to deal with them like they're a fucking animal. And that's the way that she's been doing all of this for the entire like portion of her life. I really... Even though it's so tragic, the character, I really love Casey. Like, I love the way the character is written. I love the understanding of the character. And I love this, like, revelation. It sucks. It's the worst thing. I'm not happy for it because this is a happy time. No, I just understand her. I understand everything about her. And it's just so crazy that this is also understood by the beast like there and and i have to get into that in a second because i have to play what's associated with it and you'll be like why wait i don't understand because she's not like everybody else you know she has tragedy everybody has a tragic bad story but it's not just tragedy because she's gone through this she also remains pure essentially like, she has her wits about her. She understands what she needs to do, but she still hasn't been able to do what maybe actually is needed. And that is shown in the case when she's a little girl and she goes and can't pull the trigger. And even though she should have pulled the trigger, right? Like, she just couldn't do it because that's still her uncle. Like, that's still family at that point. 
But nowadays, who knows? She just finds other ways to get out of the situation. She stays at school late. And it makes me believe at the beginning of the movie, too, that it wasn't really, she wasn't worried about him, you know, picking her up. This was just maybe another way for her to fucking escape, for her to get out of this situation. And it's just absolutely incredible that these two people meet. And she truly, in this situation, is the doe. And you could say that the beast is either the buck, or he's a lion, or he's a tiger, or whatever you want to call him. But he's such the aggressor, and she's being backed into a corner that she knows how to get out of herself. But surprisingly, she has to hide herself inside of a cage where everybody can see her, uh, but she's still safe behind bars. So... She puts herself in the situation and locks herself up and you get a great, this, I love this shot too. Like, and, and there's not much to complain about in the way that he does it. He does in the beginning of the movie, does that same fucking unbreakable shot where he's moving the camera in between two little places. But for the most part, I think that the cinematography of this movie is fucking fantastic as it is. And it's not all M. Night and doing the cinematography. But I think the way that everything is set up, and this scene is definitely the best, where the beast is chasing her down the hallway, and he's going along the ceiling, and he is destroying every single light down the hallway, and it's just, huh, huh, huh. It's really cool, like, just the way that you see him as he's coming down, the lights go out, you know that he's there, but it's just, the force is impending. And then he stops at one point, to scream some of his beliefs directly at her. We are glorious! We will no longer be afraid! <laughs> Only through pain can you achieve your greatness! And so you hear in that shot that she takes one shot at him in the distance, but he starts running up towards her and he's trying to get away a little bit. And then she's following him with the gun, just like she was taught by her father, and takes one shot at him and stops him in his tracks. Then he turns around and goes to attack the cell. And she, at this point, her shirt, her last shirt, has been torn up and she's bleeding. And so she rips it off. He comes at her one last time. She takes another shot at him and he continues to come. And he's there at the, the bars and he's just bending them and you see him gritting his teeth and there's blood on his, like his gums and his, his teeth inside his mouth. <laughs> and he's just ripping through and then he stops and the camera pans over to Casey and he looks at her and we look at her for the first time. We see that she is, you know, she is a grown woman, but what we also see are scars all over her body. We see them all over her arms, 
all over her shoulders, all over her stomach. We see everything. And we know that this is all that she's done to herself to cope with the fact of living with her uncle and everything that's happened since her father died. And it's a powerful revelation, not just for us, but also for the beast. You can hear in the conversation that he has before, or the the screaming, I guess you should say, that he has, and he talks about that only those that have experienced pain, they're the only ones that can truly understand and are truly free. And she's experienced it. And so he looks at her, and he looks at her with a smile on his face and wonder in his eyes, and tells her that she is truly different. Your heart is pure. Rejoice! The broken are the more evolved. And I love that statement that he has at the end there where he says the broken are more evolved. It's kind of like the only thing I can compare it to is when we talk about comedians, right? Where some of the best comedians in the world are the most hurt, the most harmed, you know, that have something in their life that is truly tragic or have things in their life that make them truly tragic if you learn the stuff on the outside. Looking at somebody like uh, Robin Williams who suffered with depression and that mixed with what he was finding out about his life, you know, ultimately led him to take his own life. Uh, but he always hid it, you know, he hid it through the guise of laughter. And she's hiding herself because she's afraid of what might happen you know, people that get into these, and I can't experience this. This is never going to happen to me. One, because I'm getting too fucking old. And the other reason is because I'm not a female. You know, it's not something that I ever had to deal with growing up. And I ever had to realize that, uh, you know, people went through these problems. You know, how many people that I knew in high school went through anything similar? Or elementary school? Or junior high? Or even college? Like, did anybody I know actually have this happen to them, have anything? And it just kind of brings that flooding of emotions back when you look at this scene and he looks at her and he just says, you're so different, you're pure because you've experienced this tragedy, because you've shown it upon your body, because you are special. And that is what he's been trying to tell the different people inside of his head as well, that Everybody there is important and that they're the ones are going to take over, basically take over the earth. So it's, it's like a sad, beautiful expression at this point. And like, I remember when I first saw it, I was like, I got to think about this. Like, why is it like this? And then I sat and, and it really kind of got, a grip for what it meant to me. And it could mean something totally different to you, or you could be like, oh, this is bullshit. But to me, it, it really is a very powerful statement. 
It is a very powerful moment in this film. And it devastates me that when she is found in the next scene, she has to go right back to her uncle. The thing that this experience has allowed her to escape from that reality. Yes, there's the fear of death, but I don't feel like Casey was ever in any danger. Like, I felt that she knew the rules because of everything that she's gone through. She expressed to the other girls, like, basically saying, look, listen to me, and they won't, because they live sheltered lives, because they haven't experienced any type of this pain, and they're just allowed to do what they want when they need it. And even when they look at her, she's so weird, this is all about pity, but really she's having pity on them, because they don't know how to handle a situation like this. And she knows how to do it in a very tragic way. She's a beautifully tragic character. And I hate and love at the same time that she has to endure more tragedy at the end of this film. That, yes, she's saved, but she's truly not. And it, it, like, thinking about that character just breaks my heart right there to know that this isn't something that in everyday life, this is something that probably happens on the regular, that these people go through this, and I don't want to bring this down, but it's absolutely my favorite point of the film, that's not James McAvoy, everything's fun, everything's great, but this, like I said, it's beautifully tragic, and, you know, we see her, and that's the last moments that we get after she's been rescued, that she's going off to her uncle and to continue, well, we don't know, but possibly continue the same life that she's been living. And this is a moment of escape, even though it's a terrible moment of escape. From there, we cut over to Kevin, uh, the Beast, Dennis, whatever you want to call him. At this point, he's actually between Dennis, Patricia, and Hedwig. And he's looking into the mirror and he's gazing upon the damage that he's taken and how amazing that everything is still fine. It didn't go through. We are what we believe we are. <laughs> Uh, holy shit! This is so cool! Ah, <laughs> They're gonna believe we exist now, right? They're gonna have to. So what do we do now? We trust in him. He'll protect us. Look, what he can do. Let him show the world how powerful we can be. And so the ending theme starts playing, but wait, there's more. And this is where I was absolutely made. So I'm already floored at this point. Like, I am just absolutely loving the film. I'm loving the performances. Everything's great. And this is the way, like, 
even with him surviving and the fact that the beast is actually real, and I thought there was going to be some type of like, you know, what the twist type of twist that was going to go, and it wasn't real, and it was all in his head or some shit like that, and then maybe Kevin was going to die, she was actually going to kill him, but the fact of the matter is, she stood up to the beast, and the beast stood up back to her. So he wasn't able to be taken down. And where else could we go from here? Because you get the music and it says split and then it fades into a diner. And this is when everything got crazy for me uh, as I'm sitting there watching the film. psychological disorder DID. The rumors coming out of the scene are almost unbelievable. There are conflicting stories if the suspect is alive or dead after sustaining two point blank gunshots. Reports even indicate one of his personalities is an amalgam of the various animals in the Philadelphia Zoo where he worked. The press is already referring to the alleged attacker by a dark name linked by a source close to the case. Because of his many personalities, being called the Horde. This is like that crazy guy in the wheelchair that they put away 15 years ago. And they gave him a funny name, too. What was it? Mr. Glass. And so that ends Split, and it connects Unbreakable to it at the end of the movie. Absolutely insane. I looked up, and I saw Dunn on fucking Bruce Willis's like shirt. I'm like, holy shit, that's David Dunn. Oh, holy shit, this is fucking connected? Are you fucking kidding me? This is the giant fucking twist at the end of this movie? The fact that he says it's the Philadelphia Zoo... All these things started coming back in the back of my mind. Holy crap. So the train wreck that happened when James McAvoy was a young kid was the same train wreck that fucking Bruce Willis survived, that David Dunn fucking survived in the beginning of Unbreakable. So his father's death is caused by Mr. Glass. Great. Holy shit. And then, of course, later on, the announcement of Glass comes together and makes me wonder if that's even going to come up in that film. But... Oh my god, I'm still fucking amazed by this film. I still have a range of emotions. Most of what I'm talking about in here is just, it's interesting stuff. It's hard to break down some things and to really get it. I really am completely in love with this movie and the way that it's done. And I'm so enthralled by like even watching it again and seeing my wife watch it for the first time, even though she only saw the second half of the movie, it's still quite a bit of it to see. I mean, she saw over an hour of it. She just missed about an hour of the film. So it's just amazing to watch the characters grow throughout the film. It's amazing to watch Casey's character. It's amazing to see what develops out of the different personalities that Kevin has. And then when Kevin actually shows up, Oh my god, like, he just knows, he's like, oh crap, 
this has gone on for way too long. Because maybe at some point he had complete control over it, but now he has no control and he realizes, oh shit, I'm the one that did all this crap and everything. You you just got to end this. And then the fight for the like survival that all of a sudden the other personalities went into, it's absolutely amazing. It's well written. There's not a whole lot of terrible dialogue in this film as well. Like, there's a couple little things here and there, mainly with the two throwaway girls, right? Uh, Mauricia or Marcia or where the fuck her name is. And Claire. Like, Claire, I'm glad that she was the first one to go because she's the most fucking annoying out of them. And I remember the first time I saw him, I was like, oh, I'm not too fond of the actress that plays Casey. But watching it again and having a better understanding at the end of the film, the way that she does it is fucking magical. Like, it's just as good. It is the perfect compliment to James McAvoy. And you really don't see it until you see the way her story ends in this movie. It is just, it's, like I said, it's heartbreaking and so amazing at the same time. And I hate using the same words over again, but fuck it, they were going to do it. Of course, you know, I tend to have my little quips, but that's just the way that it is. It's so much fun to watch this movie. It's so much fun just to watch James McAvoy go through the motions of every character. Even if there's some cliched stuff like the fucking, like, pulling him down the hallway type thing. I didn't care. I I thought everything was, well, because it's so contained, I think that's the other thing. It doesn't go into all these weird places, which scares the living shit out of me for glass, to be honest with you. Uh, and because, like I said, I haven't seen it at this point, like I said at the top. So, it's like, I just, I really wish he doesn't go too far, because he's made two phenomenal movies, connected them with the 15 year fucking break in between them, and gave us something fucking magical again. Like, gave us a reason to like M. Night Shyamalan again. Like, to really like him and, and to admire him as a filmmaker once again. I mean, there are some decent films in between. I, I really do like The Village, even though a lot of people don't. Never been that big of a fan of Signs. But there's some fucking pieces of garbage in there that I can't even be like... Yeah, you should be watching this. Like, oh, even for fun. Like, uh, no, the happening, no. So, where do we go from here? I guess I have to rate the movie. And, uh, it's, it's weird because, uh, let's, the gore factor, it's kind of like a one or a two. I'm going to give it a two out of five because some of the things are a little disgusting. The, the work is pretty good on the bite wounds and the fact that, uh, Marcia, her stomach's kind of hanging out there. So I'll give you a little bit of that. It was definitely shocking. It wasn't something I was expecting. And I was expecting a little more of a horror movie, but it turned out to be a little more of a thriller. But that shocked the shit out of me. Um, and even killing off uh, Dr. Fletcher, what didn't seem that bad either. I mean, she just got squoze to get death. I mean, he just wanted to give her a hug and she wouldn't really reciprocate. And so he had to hug her even tighter until she, you know, plopped a, a vessel in her neck or something like that. Um, Crap Factor. I, I'm going to give this a 1 out of 5. I really don't think much is that bad about it, personally. Now, you may disagree with me completely. Oh my god, how could you do this? But these are my writing systems. I just think the acting is really good. I think the story is really well done. I think that the way everything is framed... There's a couple of things, you know, side things. You could almost get rid of most of Dr. Fletcher's stuff, but it's really to explain 
what is going on or what she believes in the whole thing with the personalities and stuff, and also why he says the things that he says. It's because she's introduced it to him, and that's actually the way, or is it vice versa? We never really know. Is he the one that tells her this is the way that it works, and she just took it and ran with it? Who knows? We never will. She's dead. Maybe we're going to find out in glass. Lastly, the fun factor. I'm going to put this at a 5 out of 5. I don't do that very often, but it has to really, like, when I go back and I watch it again, I have to, like, I was giddy. I was so having so much fun, again, with the characters and even everything, and I just, I just absolutely think this movie's a fun treat to watch. Because there isn't a whole lot of action in terms of camera movement or anything like that. So you don't get kind of jarring things and he doesn't do the best with action. I think this is where his wheelhouse is in this type of film. So overall, what do I give this film? Now, it's not a perfect film, right? I don't believe it deserves a perfect rating. Um, and I really want it to. Like, I wanted to give it, but I've kind of held back a little bit about it. Because there are a couple things that I feel like, okay, well, you know, some choices I'm not the best. I didn't really actually go into a lot of the nitpicking uh, that I could have, um, just because I'm still so enthralled with everything. And I feel there's a little bit of fanboyism on this uh, when it comes to this film, that I like it so much that I would defend it uh, with anybody that's talking to me. Uh, so I'm going to give this a 23 out of 24 uh, personalities, uh, or a 4 out of 5. Uh, so... I think that everybody, if you really liked his earlier works, if you, especially if you liked Unbreakable, watch this movie. You, you need to watch this movie. I think that even if you've never seen Unbreakable, but you just want something different, watch this movie. If you need to have something to throw on and you've never seen this before, watch this movie. Just go out there and do it. I believe Split is one of those rare occasions where we have a sequel so far from the original and we get a very good movie at the end of it. So, with that being said, um, I guess we have to move on. So, the again, as I explained on the top, and I'll say it again here at the end in case you skipped up ahead a little bit or something like that, there will be a review of Glass. Uh, it won't be one of, like, this is, but we are going to discuss it, and it's going to be a car review if you've never checked those out, go on onto the Terrible Terror YouTube page or go to the Terrible Terror Facebook and we have a bunch of car videos that are there. Basically, I call them a car review because we go to the movie theater, I sit in my car, I usually record a little intro, then when I'm going to the theater, I usually ask Pat if he's with me and Ben if he's with me uh, to give their opinions before we see the movie because I want to see if what we thought before is the same as what we thought after. And then once everything is done, I bring them out to my car, we set up the the camera and everything like that, and then we give our review and we go through parts of the movie. Sometimes it's spoilerish, sometimes I try to keep things if I feel like you need to see it, but in this case, we're going to be about two weeks behind. So what's going to happen is after this episode drops, there will be a podcast version of the video that'll drop probably Friday or Saturday of next week. Um, and that's going to basically give it another week for people to either go see it or to give this some time to get some air and actually get out there and people listen to the split one first. But if you are interested after you've seen this or listened to this, not seen it, go to the Terrible Terror podcast page. It will be up 
most likely same day that we see the movie. So you'll have the review right away if you're really interested in hear what I had to say, as well as uh, Paranormal Pat and the Angry Dad himself. Uh, make sure that you go and check that out. And then, so while you're there, like and subscribe, check out the Facebook page, like the Facebook page, uh, and you can even go by Instagram. I don't think it's going to be short enough for IGTV, but go by there, hey, say hi, or check out all the IGTV videos that I've got. Uh, I have at least 30 of them for Godzilla, you know, my little kaiju-a-thon that I did back in October that almost broke me off of Godzilla completely, but I digress when it comes to that. So make sure you go out there and check it. And then, so now that the plugs are through early, um, let's talk about the next film that we're going to watch together, shall we? So I was listening to Dave's Pop Culture Podcast. Not trying to name names, throw shit out there, but I'm pretty close in with the host of that podcast. Uh, and uh, he was talking to the Angry Dad. And... They were talking, and they were like, man, you know, there is a film that Terrible Terror has never done, uh, and he's never even touched one of them. So I thought, what the hell? Let's go ahead and do one. And you know what? If I'm going to do one, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to do the very first one. Of all the planets in the galaxy, they chose ours. <laughs> They hide in small places. This phone is dead. What? They light the dark. Jay, any luck? Just a minute. There's nothing cute about them. They've come a long way, and they're hungry. So that's right. I'm going to be looking at Critters, the very first one as uh, the next episode of the podcast. I also realized that um, this is episode 96. I am four away from 100, and there is something that I want to do special. Uh, hopefully, I can get it together in time. It would be about two months away, which is good because I think I have enough time for all the people that I want to be involved in it, and hopefully it'll be something fun. But I cannot believe that... Uh, I am four episodes away from 100. I've got three regular episodes and then episode 100. Oh my fucking God. Um, and I really have to thank everybody that listens to it. I know I do it a lot, uh, but really it does mean a hell of a lot that you guys are even taking your time downloading the episodes, listening to the episodes, listening to me fuck up, listen to you rant, listen to me yell, scream, uh, enjoy it. Now, there are two podcasts that I want you to go out there and give love to. Uh, the first is Andy's podcast, who you heard here on the episode of Blade Trinity. Um, the Black Cat Shadow is back, and I started listening to the new episode today. 
I, I really, I saw Bird Box. Um, I think that he does a much better job than I could ever do, at least explaining the mythos of everything and kind of getting into it. It is a great episode, uh, but please go out and check out, uh, and normally it's Andy Dakota and Dave as well, uh, but Andy's doing a solo one here just to get it kind of, it sounds like to kick it off back again after their little hiatus. So please go back out and check out the Black Cat Shadow available on all podcasting platforms that you normally find your podcasting uh, needs on, I guess you can say. Also, make sure to go check them out on Twitter, at Black Cat Podcast. I believe they have a new website. I just don't remember what it is right now. But please, go show them love. I'd really appreciate it if you do. The other one that I want you to go out there and show love to as well is the guys over at Movie Mayhem Podcast. Uh, they are a great movie podcast. They do kind of a, well, good amalgamation. They just had an episode on the Super Mario Brothers movie, uh, and they brought over, um, the Bullduck Gaming Brothers, uh, with them. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, he's based out of, well, they are based out of New York. Uh, and you can find them on Twitter at Movie Mayhem Pod. Um, I really enjoy, uh, you know, I don't get to check it out as much as I like, but the episodes I do, um, get to check out, especially I really enjoyed the Super Mario Brothers one. You guys should go check that out. And maybe one of these days I can talk about the Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, if I do another video game movie, uh, set again. So for the next episode, uh, leading on up, I want to give you guys kind of a highlight of things that I want to do this year as well. Cause it is a brand new year. We're looking at going, uh, as close as we can to the anniversary and figuring out what I'm going to fucking do for that one. But we have something, I hope I have something very special for, uh, episode 100, uh, as we get into the new year. So I want you guys to help me a little bit and think of maybe some other type of episodes. So look, so I'm thinking of two different themes right now. One is, uh, definitely another sci-fi month. So I'm looking for some sci-fi movies and they can be a, kind of a mixture between the two. The other one is fantasy action movies. Um, I have one, and I believe that's going to be because, again, of the Angry Dad, and it has to do with something red and something related to Flava Flav, but looking for something else maybe to do as a fantasy movie, and I could even extend it out to like four episodes. So, something that's fun, something that could be considered maybe a little bit horrifying, I don't know. But, as always, I thank you guys so much for listening. Go check out, make sure you do check out uh, Black Cat Shadow, as well as the Movie Mayhem podcast. And I will see you guys next time when we talk about critters. Oh boy. All right. See you then.